You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Hayden Grove, and joining us again after a week away was, is Chris Fedor, our Cavaliers beat reporter. We want to thank Melanie Schmois, who came on last week and talked a little bit about mental health and, and NBA athletes, and it was definitely an insightful conversation for sure for me. We hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, Chris, I guess we can talk about that for a little bit, but first and foremost, yeah, the Cavaliers are playing basketball again. I know. Isn't it great? They're they're playing preseason basketball again. It's it's hard to believe. We you know we're just we're about a week away. I think a week from today is the opener for the Cavaliers. So eight days. Eight days. Uh, eight away. days. Sorry, eight days. I'm bad at math. I'm really That's bad okay. at math. But nobody said uh, there was going to be math, right? Yeah, nobody said there was going to be math in this assignment. So I apologize. But okay, eight days away. The Cavaliers are back in the swing of things. And man, what a start for the Cavaliers. We, you know, we're going to get into this. Um, Cavaliers win two in a row at home against the Indiana Pacers, and you've been around, which has been different. It has been different, but it's giving a sense of normalcy, even though it's not normal inside the arena and the way that we're interacting with players and coaches um, in these times is not normal either. Um, The Cavs have done as good as they can do, given the circumstances that surround this preseason uh, when it comes to making these guys available still giving us access so that we can um, take fans inside this team the same way that we usually do. And it's just great that basketball is back. That's the bottom line. I mean, there are going to be hurdles throughout the course of this season, Hayden, and the NBA has to figure out what it's going to do um, when a player tests positive for COVID at this point in time. They're leaving it all up to the player and the agent to disclose whether or not he wants to admit being positive. Um, so I think there are certain protocols that they're going to have to deal with that they didn't have to deal with inside the bubble, right? Because they didn't have any positive COVID tests once they got into the Disney bubble. Take the Disney bubble away, and obviously there are going to be complications. J.P. Bickerstaff has said a number of different times that depth is going to be tested, and one guy may not be available one night and then available the next night, so it's probably going to be a funky, very different regular season. But just having basketball back, um, it feels like there is a sense of normalcy, at least when it comes to the Cavs. I mean, how weird is it when you're, you know, when you're there and you're seeing this? I mean, how strange? Yeah, I mean, I think it is strange because you can hear things that you don't normally get to hear. Um, I've written about two different things that 
if I wasn't there in the building, I wouldn't have had a story, right? So the first preseason game, I wrote about a conversation that Isaac Okoro and J.P. Bickerstaff had when Okoro was going to the bench. I was able to pick up on that because I could see it happening in front of me and I could see Okoro's reaction after pump faking and then traveling and passing up a three-pointer. I could see his teammates' reaction to him doing that. I could see J.B. Bickerstaff go out to meet him at center court to have that conversation. And because I saw that, I was able to ask Isaac about it, right? I was able to ask J.B. Bickerstaff about it. If I wasn't there inside the arena, I wouldn't have seen that. And my story angle would have been completely different after his first ever um, NBA game. Uh, and then if you look at last night's game, one of the things that I wrote about was Darius Garland yelling at himself. I heard that. I heard that by being in the arena. If I was at home watching the game on TV, maybe the camera doesn't show that, right? Maybe I don't hear him yelling at himself because of his ridiculous turnovers early in the game. So it is different because you can hear things and you can see things and maybe your mind is more focused on what's going on in front of you and you're less likely to drift. Um, and you pay more attention because there isn't a whole bunch of stuff going on around you with the fans and chants and music and all those different things. Um, but but I, I think I think still being there inside the arena um, is very, very beneficial from a coverage standpoint, which is why. You know, my plan right now, Hayden, for this year is to travel to every road game that I'm going to be allowed to travel to uh, based on what the, the opposing team allows in terms of media coverage. So that's interesting you bring that up because we were just talking about that, that the New York Knicks will not be allowing media. Yeah. Um, so you will not be there, um, which is always a good trip to New York. But again, New York <laughs> is kind of a very different animal right now because yeah. it's it's mostly closed. Um I, it's just I can't. I, I, so how are you? I mean, I mean, I've I've been covering Browns games from home. I've been covering all kinds of things from home. So I get it. But how are how are you going to approach that? You know, you don't have now. It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum yep. where you're covering the Cavs from a much less of an advantage, uh, being at home and not getting to hear some of the things that you were hearing at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Yeah, I mean, I think Hayden for games like that. And and look, I was on the phone all day yesterday with United. Shout out to United for working with me on canceling at the last minute, basically, after I'd already checked in for my flight. And shout out to Marriott um, for working with me when it came to canceling my reservation. I think both of those uh, were very understanding of the situation that I was in. And I explained it to him. I was like, hey, look, I was coming to New York for a business trip. I'm a basketball writer. I was supposed to be there for Cavs Knicks and the Knicks literally said, you're not allowed to come. We're not allowing media in for the first preseason games because of the spike in COVID cases. Wow. Um, so everybody was understanding yesterday, but, but I think because I can't be there, Hayden, um, I think my stories, I don't know this for sure, but I think my, my stories are going to be more background related as opposed yeah. to game related. I just think it's hard to make the kinds of observations that I'm used to making while watching it on TV. Like, I think my mind is probably going to drift a little bit. I'm probably going to get distracted watching the game from home. Um, so what I've done over the last couple of days is compile a lot of background information 
for story angles that I expect to dive into over the next week, week and a half. And based on what happens in the game, um, I'll be prepared to pivot and focus on whichever player it is that stands out from the game. You know what I mean? Like I've been doing a lot of background on Dylan Windler. I've been doing a lot of background on Isaac Okoro and the decision between Okoro and Obi Toppin because they're playing against the Knicks in the final two preseason games. So depending on what happens with the game, I'll have that stuff ready to go um, and I'll be able to make my story based on that, um, even though I'm not there seeing it. It's definitely a different thing and we've had to, we've all had to adjust. I mean, that's right. I definitely, I'm not going to complain because I'm just, again, I'm just feel very fortunate to still be having to have a job and to still be, you know, covering sports, but it's definitely not as fun as it used to be, (laughs) you know, roaming around to rocket mortgage and the progressive field and the first energy stadium. It's certainly um, my apartment's sick of me and I think I'm sick of it. So, you know, the sooner we get rid of this coronavirus and we, you know, get this vaccine and, we, we kind of move away from that, the better. Um, and I'll say this too, Hayden, being being in the arena for the first two preseason games at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, um, the Cavs have done a really good job making you feel um, safe and the protocols that they have in place, they're well thought out. Uh, the NBA has handed out two different 100 plus page memos to all of the different teams um, for home games, traveling to road games, Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff was talking today about how the NBA has actually identified certain restaurants that players are allowed to go in that are privatized, that are secluded, that meet the standards that the league would want, right? So they've gone into great lengths, great detail uh, to try and keep these guys as safe as possible in an uncertain environment. Um, I I think that's all they can do, right? That's like... All they can do is try and can control the things that they can control. And it's very difficult to control things in the midst of a pandemic. But being inside the arena, the Cavs have a hand sanitizer bottle for every single media member that's willing to go in there. There are wipes waiting for you when you get to your media seat so you can wipe everything down. They give you a bagged dinner um, so that that is... Uh, not something that you bring into the arena yourself, and then who knows what could happen from there. Um, they've separated people uh, both, well, when they're going to have fans in the stands, they're going to separate uh, fans into pods. They've separated me- media members by the kind of distance that makes you feel comfortable. So um, it seems like the NBA is doing everything it can Um and and they've pivoted from some of their protocols that they had in a bubble. Um, and I think it's going to be something that they continue to uh, tweak as the season goes on based on what is required. You know what I mean? Certainly. And that's, I mean, I'm glad to hear they're keeping me safe. And I mean, you know, the NBA has been the one league that um, that is really, I mean, they did an amazing job in that bubble. And now they're going to, you know, I'm sure they're going to be very thorough with how they go about the about this um, in regards to now putting on a regular season with the, you know, all the teams in the NBA. Um, but there was basketball, and that's what I want to get into because we get, you know, we've, I feel like we've talked a lot about COVID and just I think it's just something that we've all kind of been fatigued with. But the good news is that we get to see basketball on the floor. We get to see um, the Cavaliers go on the floor and uh, get the job done and 
they have the first two games. They've beaten the Indiana Pacers in both of their first two games. Uh, the first game was a three-point win, and the second game was around. It was a double-digit win for the Cavaliers. So honestly, Chris, honestly, last night I did not watch. So let's let's have you fill me in on what happened with the Cavaliers <laughs> last night because I was in very much in Browns mode um, with the huge game last night, which is why we did not record last night. But um, I want to hear what your thoughts were on the second game, and then we can go back to the first game. I mean, in last night's game, I don't know that I had a huge takeaway. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is that Dante Exum continues to be the backup point guard for this team. And I asked J.B. Bickerstaff following the game if Dante has solidified that spot. Because everything that J.B. said coming into training camp and into the season is that minutes had to be earned. Um, right. Obviously, <laughs> you take that with a grain of salt. He's not taking Kevin Love and Andre Drummond out of the starting lineup. Right. Even if somebody goes out and has a masterful preseason, you're not taking either one of those guys out of the starting lineup. They've earned those minutes based on what they've already accomplished. I think it's going to be really difficult for the Gavs to justify taking Colin Sexton out of the starting lineup um, based on what he's accomplished for this organization in his first two years in the NBA. Like, how could somebody in this training camp and in in four preseason games, you know, turn turn heads enough to cancel out what Collins done in his first two years in meaningful games against real NBA competition. It's just hard for me to see it any other way than that. And the Cavs really don't have a true backup point guard. So Darius Garland's going to be the starting point guard by default. So I mean, really, if we're being honest, the only spot that I think that's truly up for grabs is the small forward spot between Isaac Okoro, Dylan Windler, and Jetty Osman. And we've talked about that a bunch. Um, but there were other spots that were up for grabs too. There was a backup point guard battle coming into camp between Dante Exum, Matthew Della Vadova. Those are probably the only two. And I guess the Cavs could stagger the minutes between Garland and Sexton and have Sexton handle a bulk of those playmaking responsibilities for the second unit if the Cavs want to go that way. I'm sure that's a possibility. But Dante was really good um, in last night's game. He scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. Um, he's been one of their leading assist guys in the first two preseason games, kind of showing some of the skills that make JB believe um, that he can be the second unit stabilizer, that he can run the offense that along with the defense that the Cavs were always excited about him bringing, he can uh, distribute and he can make plays, not just for himself, but for his teammates. And he can do the little point guardy things that point guards have to do on a nightly basis. Um, so I think that is one of the biggest takeaways from last night's game is that through the first two preseason games and, and what J.B. Bickerstaff has seen from Dante Exum in camp, um, he is now the backup point guard, and he has taken that spot uh, that was pretty open coming into training camp. I know the plus-minus stat can sometimes be misleading. Yes, uh, especially in the preseason. Especially in the preseason, but he is a plus 33. Yes, right. Um, you know, on Monday night, which is impressive. But again, it's a very misleading stat. But I think 7 for 11 field from, say it again. The other thing from last night's game is J.B. Bickerstaff was able to dabble with different lineups and combinations and rotations. I think the lineup that they finished with, Dante was saying that 
it hadn't played together at all in training camp. Um, but JV wants to see what works, what doesn't work. And the only way you're going to get those answers is by actually throwing those guys out there together and seeing it. I mean, you could sit there and you could say, yeah, I want to play this lineup and I think it looks good on paper. But you don't know until you actually play those three guys together or those two guys together or those five guys together. So JV has spent the first two games of this preseason um, just experimenting with different things. You know, in the first preseason game, he used Isaac Okoro as a two as opposed to a three. In last night's game, he used Okoro as a three as opposed to a two. And the only way you can find out whether the guy can handle those responsibilities um, and whether he has the skill set to flourish in those spots and do the things that the Cavs ask of in those spots is to throw him out there and see. I, I do want to get into Isaac because, you know, obviously he's the rookie and he's made, I mean, he's made an impact already. He's um, been the their best game. player. Let's be honest. I mean, in the yeah. first two preseason games, he's been their best player. And, you know, that's not something that you necessarily expect out of a rookie, but it is preseason. So what are your takeaways from from what you've seen from Isaac Okoro? I mean, yesterday he had 15 points on four or seven from the field, uh, three rebounds and four assists in the first game. I will pull up stats in a moment. But, um, I mean, yesterday he was big. And then in the first game, he made the game when he shot. I mean, just right. it seems like incredible poise. And he scored 16 of 18 points in the fourth quarter. Not only did he make the game winning shot, but he had the game winning stop. Um, I think this is the best way that I can phrase it. And I have to qualify this because, as you know, Hayden, as people that read Cleveland.com know, and as people that listen to this podcast know, I was a big Isaac Okoro fan coming into the draft. Yes, you were. To me, he was the pick for the Cavs the minute that they fell to number five in the draft lottery. And I stayed with it. Of all the guys that they could have picked at number five, I thought he was the best combination of talent and fit. Now, the Cavs saw it the same way, so I'm coming at the Isaac Okoro conversation from there. I liked him from the very beginning. In saying that, I think he's been better than even the Cavs could have imagined in these first two games. Like, look, this was hard for this kid. He got drafted... On November 18th, he didn't get to Cleveland until two days later, and he had less than two weeks to get settled before his first ever training camp. He didn't have summer league. He didn't have time to integrate with his team. He didn't have off-season workouts at the practice facility to work with the coaching staff the way that most rookies do. The things that most rookies get in a normal off-season, he had none of it. None of it. On top of that, Hayden, he was 19 years old coming into a new city with new coaches, with new teammates. He didn't even have a puffy coat when he got to Cleveland. He had these <laughs> dinky little coats because he came from the Atlanta area. So, like, think about everything that was thrown at this kid. And yet here he is in the first two preseason games standing out. And from all accounts, players, executives, coaches, He's been one of the standouts at training camp as well. Um, the way that J.B. Bickerstaff phrased it today, and I asked him, I said, look, you liked Isaac in the draft. You've talked about all the things that you liked about him, but has he even been better than you anticipated? And he said, it's come more click quickly than I expected it to. And, and I think that speaks 
to everything that I've been saying. You know, the Cavs didn't put high expectations on him because of the circumstances surrounding his rookie season. And yet, you know, despite all those circumstances, here he is. Um, I think it's going to be really, really difficult for the Cavs to keep him out of the starting lineup. Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask. I mean, we're eight days away uh, from the Cavs opener, and this is a very short training camp, but they only have four preseason games. And Jetty Osman was held out of the last preseason game, and, you know, Dylan Windler is kind of getting back. So, I mean, is this, is this, is Isaac Okoro the leader in the clubhouse right now to start for the Cavaliers to the three spot? To me, he is. And I'll put it this way it's, it's not about what Jetty isn't doing. <laughs> I mean, Right. Jetty in the first preseason game without Colin Sexton, he scored 23 points. He led him in scoring. He was really, really aggressive. Um, you know, he has been the starter at small forwards since LeBron left. Yep. Now, a big part of that is by default. It's been a thin spot for the Cavs over the last couple of years. And now they've added more depth. They've added more talent. In saying that, it's not like Jetty's been bad in training camp. It's not like he was bad in the first preseason game. This is about what Isaac Okoro brings and what Isaac Okoro has done here. Um, at, at the end of the day, the truth is the Cavs need what Isaac brings more than they need what Jetty brings. Bottom yeah. line, they need that defensive intensity. They need that versatility. They need those winning characteristics. You can't watch the Cavs, no matter what lineup is out there, as long as Isaac Okoro is in it, he's going to make things happen in a positive way. That's what you've seen. You've noticed him. And sometimes it's little things, right? Like last night in the second preseason game, Hayden, Darius Garland was out there at the top of the key, and he was dancing around with Malcolm Brogdon. And he went between the legs, behind the back, and he got the ball ripped away from him. Mm-hmm. So Brogdon goes the other way with some of his teammates, And who comes down to single-handedly stop a transition attack? Isaac Okoro. He forced two misses, and then the play was finally cleaned up by Sabonis for Indiana. But last year, when we were watching the Cavs, that's a layup. That's an easy, uncontested layup. And Isaac is making things tougher for the opponent. He's shutting down driving lanes. He's in the right spots. He's challenging shots at the rim. Um, he's moving well without the basketball. And so many people wondered about whether he could knock down shots. He's drilling shots. He went three straight quarters from the fourth quarter in the first preseason game through the first half of the second preseason game without missing a shot. And this is a guy who was not supposed to be able to shoot. And he seems, I mean, it seems like he's in great shape. He's, I mean, he's built like a brick house and yep. Seems like he's in great shape and and is ready to roll. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any limitations there. It's just there's nobody like him on this roster. Right. Nobody has that defensive first mentality. No one has the ability to guard one through four effectively. Nobody brings the winning characteristics um, that he does. And and I just think I just think it's going to be too tough for the Cavs despite Jetty being really good in the first preseason game and despite him, you know, taking a different approach to this training camp about being more aggressive and getting more people involved, it's just going to be too tough for the Cavs to keep him out of the starting lineup. It's going to be really, really tough for J.P. Bickerstaff 
to take him off the court at different moments throughout the game. Like, this is a guy who I think the Cavs are going to give 30 to 35 minutes to in his rookie season because he's going to earn that level of playing time. That's, I mean, that's like, that's great. I mean, great to hear if you're a Cavs fan because, you know, obviously they have faith in him. Uh, this, that's, it's, I guess it's surprising just because, again, with everything that's happened in this offseason, it's just the way that he's came in, that, that he's come in and, and just been great is, it's, it's shocking to me. I mean, it's, it's probably shocking to the Cavaliers that with all this, you know, with just the, the short the short time that he's been in Cleveland and the shortened offseason kind of for the training camp program. I mean, it's just it's it's shocking to hear these things in like in a good way. You know, it's it's yep. Cavaliers have kind of been Colin Sexton maybe took a while and, and maybe Darius Garland's taking a while. But if, if Isaac Okoro can go from the start, that will really, 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 really help this team. And he's really, really smart and he picks up on things quick. Yeah. And I, I just think if, if you're the Cavs, based on what you've seen already, um, you feel like nothing is going to be too big for him. You know, the argument against starting him from the very beginning, and we talked about this, is that he wouldn't be as ready. He doesn't have the experience that Jetty does. Right. Jetty's played in the NBA before. He's played against that level of competition before. He has a better understanding of what the Cavs want to do offensively and defensively because he was with JB for those 11 games um, last season. And he was with the Cavs in the mini bubble when they were doing those kinds of things. Um, Isaac doesn't have that on his side, but he closes the gap, I feel like, with his ability to pick things up quickly. It was funny because in the first training camp practice, we asked JB... What stood out most about Isaac? And everybody talks about the defense, right? And some people have been saying since he was drafted, hey, look, he's a better than expected offensive player. You're going to be surprised by what he can do offensively. And JB said, we were running drills and we only had to explain them to him once. We didn't have to stop everything and explain it to him repeatedly and that caused us to go longer at practice, or that caused us to not get certain things done that we wanted to get done. That was his first ever training camp practice in the NBA. And, and JB said that the knowledge retention was something that really, really stood out to him. And look, they're already playing him, like I said, at multiple positions in the first two preseason games. So he's able to do the things at the two that the Cavs need of him. He's able to do things at the three that the Cavs need of him. And I think that speaks to how coachable he is and how quick he's able to pick things up. And if he can do those kinds of things, that makes up for Jetty Osman's experience edge in many ways. Not in Absolutely. every way, but in many ways. Absolutely. I mean, the rave reviews for Isaac Okoro are definitely encouraging. Is there anybody that's also having – I mean, you mentioned we talked about Dante Exum. Is there anybody mm -hmm. else that's, that's had a really good camp thus far? I mean, again, I know it's such a short camp and it's such a short yeah. preseason, so it's really hard to even say. But is there anybody that they're, you know that's kind of turning heads thus far? I mean, it looks like Andre Drummond had a productive day yesterday. Yep. Uh, how's he doing? From everything I'm told, Andre Drummond has been dominant in training camp. Yep. Now, look, we need some perspective on that, of course, right? That's not where I was going with that. Yeah. First, he's a two-time All-Star center, so yep. that should be the case. He's that kind of player. He has that kind of talent. 
I think SI.com put him in their top 100 players in all of the NBA. On top of that, JaVale McGee got here to Cleveland Friday. He practiced today really for the first time. Like he's gone through some shoot arounds and walkthroughs, but today he practiced really for the first time. So before JaVale got here, the only other centers on the roster, technically, were Thonmaker. Drummond's going to dominate him physically. We know that. Um, Marquise Bolden, Drummond's going to dominate him physically. He's probably going to end up with a Canton charge after getting a camp invite. So there's just nobody that the Cavs had early on in training camp that could physically match up with Drummond. And to his credit, he dominated the way that he needed to dominate. So he's somebody else that people are talking about. And Dylan Windler continues to do positive things. Hayden, if you remember last year, the Cavs were excited about Dylan. Players yeah, were, were excited about Dylan. Yes, they were. Remember that? Like, people inside the organization were telling me, look, by the halfway point of the season, he might take the job from Jetty Osman at small yep. forward. Um, so a lot of the reasons why the Cavs were excited about him, his ball movement, his cutting, his shooting ability, his length on defense, his activity on defense, we're starting to see a lot of those things in the first two preseason games. Now, look, he's got to shake off the rust. He's got to knock down shots. Those those kinds of things, you know, from, from a shot-making standpoint and from a space-the-floor standpoint, that's why Dylan's here in Cleveland. That's why he's here in the NBA. So he's got to start doing those things better, and it's going to take time, you know. This is a guy who's just getting his feet underneath him after season-ending surgery and not playing at all as a rookie. But, you know, for a majority of the the second preseason game, Hayden, he was leading the Cavs in assists until Dante Axum finished with a flurry in the fourth quarter. It's like those little things that Dylan brings to the table that are sometimes tough to quantify— that's why the Cavs were so excited, and I think we're seeing that a little bit here in the first two preseason games. I want to talk a little bit about the guys who are not on the floor for the Cavaliers, mm-hmm. the guys who, um, you know, obviously, you know, I think we're just going to watch, and it's going to take time for us to figure out what these guys are, what they're going to, you know, what Isaac Coro, if he's going to continue to get these rare reviews, or if he's going to take a step back, or if Dylan Windler, you know, these things are going to take some time. And I think it's a little early to just completely judge um, you know, what a guy's doing at this point. But um, definitely want to talk about some of the guys who haven't been on the floor, uh, namely Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. has not been with the team. As you mentioned, JaVale McGee um, is kind of getting his way back now. Uh, Ke- Kevin Love has a little bit of calf soreness or Achilles soreness. Yeah. And Colin Sexton is dealing with um, what is is escaping me? Minor ankle injury. Minor ankle injury. Okay, so um, – those I'm not really super worried about Colin and Kevin. I think, you know, those guys will be on the floor for the November 20 or excuse me, December 22nd. But what about um, what's going on with with uh, with Kevin Porter Jr.? I mean, the latest that I know is basically what I wrote. I think it was at the end of last week. I can't even remember. It kind of runs together at this point in time. Yeah. Um, to my knowledge, because of the way that his offseason went. There were things that the Cavs wanted to see from KPJ, needed to see from KPJ, before welcoming him back to the team. 
Okay. And they did welcome him back. But there are different steps along this process that he has to take. And they want to put him in a position to succeed. They don't want to give him too much too soon. Um, and they wanted him to be able to come back with a clean slate where a lot of the legal troubles or um, at least, you know, the legal challenges that he was dealing with, troubles might be a little bit too far, um, the legal challenges that he was dealing with over the last two, three weeks that stemmed from him rolling his SUV late at night, being fatigued, um, having a loaded weapon in his car, facing weapons charges, being arrested. Like that kind of situation for somebody who um, came into the NBA with questions about maturity, decision-making, off-the-court concerns, like for those things to pop up in his first offseason, it wasn't good. Now the Cavs stood behind him, and the Cavs believe in him, the person, and in the player, and they're trying to do everything they can to help him. But at the same time, like in many ways, that's a breach of trust, right? Absolutely. So he's got to earn that back from J.B. Bickerstaff and from the rest of the organization. And after somebody goes through that kind of offseason, you can't just say, all right, everything's in the past. We're just going to welcome you back. We're going to throw you into the preseason game. We're going to act like nothing happened. They can't do that. There's no way that they can do that. Um, do, you especially, him, do you expect him to be back for the next, I mean, for one of the preseason games or will it be an, a regular season thing? I think, I think in a perfect world, he does come back in one of these two final preseason games, um, gets that out of the way, and then is ready to go at the beginning of the season. Okay. But it's up to him and the decisions that he continues to make and what he shows to the organization, I would say. You know, for both of the preseason games, he's been listed out for personal reasons. And I yep. think we all understand that. I think we all know what those are. Um, it seems like, for the most part, the legal challenges are behind him. Um, the last I heard is that the weapons charge was going to be handled by a grand jury. Um, so it's just, you know, it's up to him to make better decisions and to earn back that trust of the organization, I'd say. Other guys that are not with the team currently are not playing to, or not going to New York. Larry Nance Jr. and Matthew Delavadova. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. took a uh, hit to the face from Sabonis the other mm -hmm. night. So how is he doing? He's and... in concussion protocol, I'm told. Yes. yes. Um, okay. I'm also told that he has a sprained jaw. But Ooh. the hope is, the belief is, that he's going to be ready to go for December 23rd against the Hornets, the opener. Okay. Matthew Delvadova also going into concussion protocol. Remember, he had that nasty fall in the first preseason game against Indiana. He didn't play in the second preseason game last night. Um, as I was told, he's going into the concussion protocol as well. And there are a bunch of steps, obviously, that these guys in the protocol, based on the league, have to pass before they're able um, to get back to basketball activity. So, you're, so you said to expect Larry Nance Jr. to be ready for that December 23rd game. I and I, I mean, that's the expectation, but yeah. concussions are tricky, obviously. Everybody yeah. understands. Definitely. I think the fact that he doesn't have a long history with them probably helps in this kind of situation. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, all things considered, going into December 23rd, this team, I mean, barring anything happening in the next two games, obviously, but as of this moment when we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, mm-hmm. the team's pretty healthy. They're pretty ready to go. I mean, there's you don't they're, they're, you're not going to be missing too much. Um, you know, it seems like maybe Kevin Porter Jr. could be and it could be back, could not be back by the start, but Larry Nance Jr. likely to be or you know could be back, just bearing whatever happens with this concussion protocol. I mean, you know that's a that's definitely a luxury to to have all your guys in good health. Well, the other thing, Hayden, is while some some positions are weaker than others, top to bottom. For the most part, this is a deep roster. Yep. You know, nine of the 11 top rotation players from last year's team are back. They added JaVale McGee, who belongs in somebody's rotation, including the Cavs. Um, you can make an argument for Damian Dotson, who has started a bunch of games for the New York Knicks. You know, he might be the odd man out at the very beginning of the season. And you can make an argument that he belongs in the rotation. So... We've talked about this. They don't have the high-level talent, and because of that, they're going to be um, they're going to have a talent deficit. I guess is the way to put it. Going into a lot of these games against a lot of different teams, but they have 10, 11 NBA players, and you couldn't say that about the team last year. So depth is actually, I think, an asset this year. It's just they Certainly. don't have that top, top-level talent that usually makes the biggest difference when it comes to a win-loss record. But, I mean, Matthew yes. Delavadova, at the end of last year, you saw what he was able to do, the kind of value that he brought to the table. Right. His numbers speak for themselves. He was one of the most impactful players that the Cavs had offensively and defensively. He's probably going to be out of the rotation coming into yeah, this year. going to have a hard time getting minutes, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean— Dylan Windler might have a hard time getting consistent minutes. Yep. I mean, again, that's a good, good depth is a good problem to have. Yeah, you sure. Have too much depth. And JB Bickerstaff said it, Hayden, at the beginning of training camp. Hey, make my decisions difficult for me. That's what I want because that means guys are competing and that means guys are playing well. Um, he also does said that, that he's most comfortable maybe, with ten. Does that also mean? I mean. Maybe not a short leash, but a shorter leash for some of these guys. You know, say they do have a good training camp, and then all of a sudden they start to struggle. And you know, you have a guy that's that played really well in training camp, but just didn't do enough. I mean, does that make things shorter? Does it? You know, does it make things a little different for Isaac Okoro? Does it make things different for some of these guys that are maybe maybe just specifically for Isaac? I mean, will they have a kind of a an eye on that leash if he does start the season as the starting three? I guess. I feel like some of these spots can be moving targets throughout the course of the regular season. Sure. I think it's going to be a constant battle. I think it's going to be a constant um, set of experiments for JB. I don't know what's best for this team. Do you know what's best for this team? I don't know what their best five-man lineup is. I don't know what their best two-man lineup is. I can look at numbers from last year. I can and they, look at and they might not, with the, with, the shortened, with the shortened preseason I mean, and everything, they might not figure that out until a couple weeks in. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So if I don't know that, I mean, yeah, they have more information than me because they have the numbers from the 11 games um, and they have their own kinds of numbers that they look at that go deeper than what I can find on NBA stats and stuff like that. Yeah. And they have all of this stuff that they're tracking 
at training camp and practice, and they're getting a look at that in a way that I'm not. But again, they're not going to have every single answer to every single question going into the opener on December 23rd. It's just not reality, um, especially with the kind of team that they have. So I do think some of these are going to be moving targets, and I do think the experimenting is going to continue throughout. Um, and I think that's okay for the kind of situation that the Cavs are in. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, what are you going to be looking for these in these next two preseason games before the 23rd? I mean, the next both nights, you know, Obi Toppin, obviously there's a story there. But mm-hmm. what is what are you looking for from afar? as the Cavaliers take on the New York Knicks. I mean, you know, we mentioned some of these guys aren't going to be playing, so it gives an opportunity for other guys. I mean, what are your kind of viewpoints here? I don't even know for the next two preseason games, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Really, I don't. Um, kind of see where it takes you? <laughs> obviously, they need to stop turning the ball over at such a high rate. Right. JB talked about that and said, we want to be an unselfish team. We want to make the extra pass. And according to him, according to Darius Garland, the starting point guard, part of that is they're trying to ingrain those habits, make those extra passes, uh, maybe make passes that they didn't in the past. And because of that, it's probably going to take some time. It's probably going to lead to turnovers. The way that JB said it is, hey, look, if you pass it more, there's more risk of a turnover. And I get that to a point, sure. But they have to be better when it comes to that. I still have no idea what to make of this defense, to be honest with you. Yep. I have no idea if they can be a good defense. So I guess for me, Hayden, it's more... They've talked about how they're trying to overachieve. And they're talking about how they feel equipped to surprise people. And to me, I guess what I'm looking for is the variables that matter most in terms of their ability to overachieve and how real those are. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I don't sure. think I don't think I'm going to get those answers in the final two preseason games against the Knicks. Yeah, I don't know if so, you're going to get a lot. I don't know if you're going to get a lot in the, in the final two preseason games against the Knicks, to be completely honest with you. A lot but, of the things that I wanted to see with the Cavs this preseason, I feel like I'm seeing, or I have seen, Isaac Okoro, Dylan Windler, the super big lineup of Larry Nance Jr., Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, who's going to be the backup point guard. At this point, I feel like there are a lot of those answers. But beyond that, not a lot of that ties into the big picture success of this team for 2020-2021, you know? Absolutely. I definitely understand that. Um Real quick, because you know I, we we've talked we've had a good conversation here, but should we should we bring up Giannis for a second? Sure. Just because just because I think it's something that you know we we've seen a lot of trades happen. We've seen John Wall. We've seen Russell Westbrook. We've seen uh, James Harden likely you know trying to get traded somewhere. Um, Giannis, a supermax five year, two hundred I think two hundred twenty eight. Does that sound right? Two hundred twenty eight million dollar deal. Um, to stay in Milwaukee. And you know what? Being in Cleveland, I mean, we understand how the NBA works, but my goodness, a win for the Midwest, huh? Oh, huge. Huge for Milwaukee. Huge for the NBA. Huge for small market teams. I love it. 
I'm excited about this. Yeah. And there were so many people that knew Giannis well, better than me, that kept saying, hey, look, this guy's just wired different. This guy cares about different kinds of things. If there's anybody to break the trend, it's Damian Lillard, it's Giannis, it's those kinds of guys. And I'm just thrilled that he was willing to do this and he's rewarding the organization. And now the organization has some clarity from him and they can figure out the next steps in terms of, and they've already started this, this off season. They made the huge trade for Drew Holiday. They gave up a bunch of picks for him, mm-hmm. but now they know which direction they have to go in, what kinds of moves they have to make. And they can start, you know, rewarding his faith in them by continuing to allow him to compete for championships. Because based on everything we've seen of him, that's the only thing that matters to him. Do you think this starts a trend or is this just kind of no. different? No, I, th- I think it's all about the individual person. Yeah. I think one thing that's interesting is Giannis didn't grow up in the AAU culture. That's true. That's true. He grew up in Greece, which is very different. And, very different. Uh, so, I mean, I think the same thing, thing could happen. Per- I think the same thing could happen with Luca. Yeah. Right. I think yep. he's wired a little bit different. Luca, I mean, I, I don't. Did you say I, I saw somebody? I don't know. Maybe it was just a, a, a quote or something from somebody about LeBron or the best player in the NBA, basically saying that, well, LeBron's still the best player in the NBA, but watch out for that kid in Dallas. <laughs> I mean, well, they love him. I mean, I think Luka. a lot of people have said that New. Luca is probably the next. Kevin Love said it. Yeah. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but he was like, the next face of the NBA is in Dallas. It's it's Luca, And I get that. Yeah. Not yet. He's not there yet. But right. I have no doubts that he's probably going to get there. He's so good. I suppose the bad thing for the Cavaliers, and I'm, as much as it is a win, I think Milwaukee is a win for – for the Midwest, for small markets, for for all that with you with Giannis, but I mean, you know, <laughs> that's another five years of having, arguably, again, one of the best players, if not the best player in the NBA. You could argue that, you know, he won the MVP. So, um, having him in the division, that's probably not something the Cavaliers right. are too excited to see. Right, and the 2022 pick that they're getting from Milwaukee is not going to be as valuable. Right. I think a lot of people recognize that it probably wasn't going to be. I think a lot of people understood that Giannis was headed this direction towards a Supermac extension with the Bucs. But look, no matter where that draft pick falls, draft picks are assets. So you don't always have to look at the kinds of players that are going to be available at that pick and lamenting the fact that it's probably going to be between 25 and 30 because Giannis is going to make Milwaukee competitive over and over and over again. Yes, it loses some value. There's no doubt about that. At the same time, draft picks are assets. And having a first-round pick, an unquantifiable first-round pick, is always going to be valuable in terms of trades. Having a bunch of second-round picks, always going to be valuable in terms of trades. I mean, the Cavs traded four of them to get Kevin Porter Jr. back into the first round to get Kevin Porter Jr. So you just don't know ever how those things are going to be used. Right. But obviously, you know, if Giannis would have left Milwaukee, (laughs) I mean, the Cavs could have been sitting 
on a huge lottery ticket. Now right. it's a little bit different. Now it's like a $1 scratch off or something right. like that. And the division, I mean, that division could have been iffy at best. I mean, oh, sure. it's not very good. Uh, yeah, Chicago sure is kind of up in the air. The Chicago Wacky stinks. <laughs> like all these teams at the bottom of the Eastern Conference stink, honestly. Right, right. But I'm just saying that, like, it could have been much more open than it ever would have been. Sure. But now I think Milwaukee will have a stranglehold, kind of like the Cavaliers did for a while. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. And then when you talk about the East hierarchy, don't even think about Milwaukee, right? Don't even think about Brooklyn. Those teams are just out of the Cavs league. The teams that Cavs fans should be looking at, the, the, the teams that the Cavs organization, honestly, should be looking at as measuring stick type teams. Maybe not even the Wizards anymore now that they have Russell Westbrook. Yeah, right. But we're looking at New York, Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta. I still have questions about Atlanta. Maybe other people don't. Charlotte, those kinds of teams. The teams 10 through 15 in the Eastern Conference. Yep. You brought up the Nets. So oh. I have to bring I have to bring it up. <laughs> Just because. Kyrie Irving. So Thank you for bringing this up, or else it would have it would have uh, kind of just you know evaded my mind. But Kyrie Irving, you know, makes his statement about I don't deal with pawns. Mm-hmm. Kevin Love responds saying mm-hmm. that was disrespectful. Um, still love Kyrie. What did you make of that whole situation? What did you make of Kevin's comments? What did you make of Kyrie's comments? Kyrie's just different. I don't think there's any other way to put it. That's true. He is the most different player that I've ever been around in my entire life. He's not wired like all NBA players. He's very artsy. He's talked about that. And I think he has that kind of mentality. He's somebody who likes to push back against the norms. He's somebody who likes to push back against narratives. He's somebody who likes um, to think in different ways. And in many ways, Hayden, he likes to challenge people to think in different ways. Yep. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. I, when it comes to him, very little surprises me anymore in terms of what he says, what he does. He's a spectacular basketball player. He's really, really fun to watch. But I think when he does things like this, he makes himself more unlikable. Yeah. And that's a shame because I think he could be a really, really likable player. He's very moody, but he's a joy to watch. And if you can separate the basketball player from the person, he's still going to be a joy to watch. There's no doubt about that. Just his style, it's a blast. He can get buckets on anybody. Brooklyn is going to be really, really difficult for anybody in the Eastern Conference, including Milwaukee, to have to deal with this year. But it's yes, just a shame. It's just a shame that he's making himself more unlikable. And and I just he feels like he's been burned by the media in the past, clearly. Yep. And I just don't think he's understood the value that the media can have for him. He does a lot of great things, Hayden. A lot of great yes, things off the court. Yes, he does. But if he's not willing to talk to the media about those things, it's hard to put those out there 
and and start writing a different kind of narrative with Kyrie. You know, the only thing that sometimes we have to go off of is behavior and what somebody says. So if this is his behavior, if these are the things that he says, a certain narrative is going to be written. And it's not going to be a positive one. It can't be a positive one. No. So I just no. I just don't think he understands that he could control the narrative better if he wanted to. Yeah. I think that that Nets team. Oh. And, and, and you know, not everybody, but just their, their M.O. I think that they are going to look at themselves as the NBA villains. I think Durant's going to look at himself as the NBA villain. I think Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's going to look at himself as the NBA villain. And they're going to take on this, like, dark kind of, I don't even know what to call it. This mantra, this this dark cloud and shroud that they're going to carry with them, kind of like LeBron did that first year after uh, after Miami, and it really didn't work out for LeBron um, in that year. And he kind of figured out that hey, I'm not the villain. I, I I don't like playing that role. I don't like being a villain. But I think Kyrie and I think Kyrie and Kevin could could kind of handle it and could really make that make that team. Like, I don't know about, like, a bad boys because I don't think they play the same way, but they could really be a villainous and really, really good basketball team. I think Kyrie more so than KD. I yeah. don't think KD can handle the villain role. Really? Nope. He uh-uh. didn't. He didn't Golden State, I thought. Not really. You yeah. thought he was a villain in Golden State? I think a lot of people lost a lot of respect for him when he went to Golden State. And I'm just talking about – I'm not talking about necessarily media or anything like that. I'm talking about fans mm. for sure. Mm. I don't know. I'd have to give that more thought. I, I just mean, think he's he's got he's got too many rabbit ears. Yeah. that's Oh, he definitely does. That's very true too. That's actually part of Kyrie's problem. He, he cared so much about what people were saying about him, not just media members – but fans as well. And he yeah. always wanted to push back against that. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I, I forgot about Kevin Durant, the the, the uh, rabbit ears. He did have the burner accounts. <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> so he definitely cares, but I don't know. I really don't. I don't know. That's What I do know is that team's going to be fun to watch. That team's going to be fun to watch if they stay healthy. I don't know how Steve Nash is going to fare there. I don't know what's going to happen with that scenario, but it's going to be fun to watch. I will pretty much guarantee you that. Do you remember the Kyrie story from me? Which one? Okay, so I don't remember what year this there was. Are a lot, there are a lot of Kyrie stories, Chris. Yes, there are. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what year this was. It, was. it was early in the indoctrination of the big three, and – it was one of my first years on the beat full time. Okay. And there was a game where Kyrie didn't play all that well. He didn't shoot it very well. Yeah. So he decides that he wants to go back out on the court for a post game yes. shooting session. I remember this story. Yes. Okay. And share it. And everybody knew that he was out there working on something. We just didn't know exactly what. Was it the way that he was playing in the game that night? Was it how he had been playing over the past week? Was there something in terms of his mechanics that he was working through? You just never know, right? Right. So the way that you learn those things is by asking the question. So that night, Kyrie comes off the court 
and everybody um, that covered the team at the time was waiting in the hallway leading to the Cavs locker room to talk to him. And he was gracious enough to stop. And he talked with all of us about that post-game shooting session and some of his struggles recently. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't shooting the ball all that well during a certain stretch. So everybody asked the normal questions. And then me being the pawn that I am, Kyrie's words, um, (laughs) I decided, I decided to say, hey, so, you know, obviously you're on the court working on something. Is there something mechanically that you're looking to do different? Are you trying to change anything in your shooting form? I felt like that was a fair question. Kyrie, on the other hand, did not. He turns to me and he says something along the lines of, I play, you watch. Okay? I play, you watch. Remember that. And I was just like, all right then. I'm not trying to break down your shot here. I'm not trying to play shot doctor. I'm trying to ask you if there's anything that you're doing different. And that was one of the most memorable moments that I had on the beat was Kyrie essentially telling me, shut up, dude. Just let me keep playing basketball. I'm going to be great. And you're going to write your little story. <laughs> I have a, gr- I have a great Kyrie story, but I, I don't think I'm cannot share it on the podcast. <laughs> no, why not? No, it's no, I could not <laughs> share it on the podcast. We can talk about it after we record, but it's uh, it's definitely a good story. It's uh, it 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 involves his first and only return to Quicken or to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, and uh, it, it was a good one. But yeah. I, I mean, certainly there are so many Kyrie stories, and again, you're right. He's just he's so incredibly talented. I think he's you know Ty Lue always used to say he doesn't have any holes offensively in his game, and I totally agree. And he was a magician going to the hoop and and finishing and. I just I wish the best for him because I I just I want to see him play well because it's just as you said it's a joy to watch him but yeah. I also want to see him just not you know not be as not be as unlikable I think because right. I think there is a likability there that you can find and maybe he will be the most likable in Cleveland I don't know I I have no idea but I play you watch just remember I, that. <laughs> I play, you watch. That's a great way to end the podcast. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we appreciate you. Anything else that you want to um, discuss before we end the uh, end this episode? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it all. All right. Sounds good. So everybody, again, if you have not heard, you should sign up for subtext. Subtext is Chris Fedor will send you um, text messages straight to your phone. Uh, he'll send you insight analysis from inside the Cavaliers. And he'll give you the best information that you can possibly find. So go sign up for Chris's subtext. It, sh- it will be on the bottom of this page where you are listening to this podcast. Go. All you have to do is put in your number. Three ninety nine a month with a fourteen day free trial. So if you want your Inside Cavaliers, um, Inside Cavaliers access and in- Inside Cavaliers analysis and information, again, sign up for subtext. Otherwise, next time we will talk, we will be nearly on the eve of the Cavaliers regular season starting, which is crazy considering it's been almost a year. So Cavaliers basketball is back. We're back with you. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Take care.